Hi, folks. This is Dick Flax, your occasional host here on Inside Isla Vista. And I occasionally host along with my friend. We're very grateful for his participation. It's Jonathan Abood, who is the, as you may know, the director of Isla Vista Community Service District, chair of the City College Board of Trustees. So uh, there's a lot that we learn whenever we converse. Hi, Jonathan. Hello, hello. So um, just bring us up to date, if you will, about news that relates to the CSD, this community service district, things people might want to know or, or you want to brag on. You know, something everybody might be interested in is we have a couple job openings right now at the IVCSD. We're hiring and we have maybe more on the way that are going to be open. Right now, we have a project manager for social media, for community engagement. So like a an outreach uh, person to help engage the community more. And we're also hiring, you know, maybe a very niche position for a local government, but a bike engineer or mechanic. Some We have a couple electric bikes in our fleet. So anybody who has those skills is free to apply to that position. And we're also ramping up our staff in the composting area as well. So we have some open positions. And since we're in our budget process right now, we are uh, looking at approving other positions possibly for next year. And so we would like to to make the community aware that we're in a hiring spree this summer and to, to be aware of new positions as they come online. And I assume your budget position is a, is a, a solid one. And you, because your staff, yeah. every time we talk, the staff seems to expand. Is that true? Or? We have 33 people now. Oh, that's incredible. Six of us are permanent staff and be- permanent benefited staff. And then the others are temporary staff, you know, part-time intern, other kind of like that positions, but 33 people and, and growing. Great. And so are there particular events or activities that right now you want to highlight? Also? Yeah. We, we do. We have, um, you know, move out is a problem every year in Isla Vista. And so we're trying to do some things to help mitigate that issue. One, it, this is uh, for the general public to know about outside of Isla Vista, especially we'd like to promote is we're having a yard sale on the um, Saturday of Memorial Day weekend at our community center and at many private residences in Isla Vista. But we're essentially recruiting residents to host yard sales. And then we're going to be promoting the yard sales around Santa Barbara County so that people from outside can come and buy things instead of them going into the trash. That's one big event as part of our goal to alleviate the issues and move out. And we're also providing a new service for people to, um, if they have a large or bulky item now that they want to start getting rid of uh, before the move out season gets into, you know, the, the the full of it, we will come and pick it up from wow. them. So we're doing a lot and, and we're, we're doing more than that. We're, we're, we have a few other plans. Um, we're, we're working with UCSB to figure out summer storage of items that instead of things getting thrown out at the end of move out, we can resell them to residents who are coming in in this in September. And this would be a partnership with the gift sale that already happens. So we're we're doing a lot this year. Uh, we've we had we hired a dedicated staff person to focus on it, and you know it's now benefiting. The benefits are being seen, but we're really focused on the sustainability 
of the move out system in IV. And so we're doing as much as we can to reduce and reuse before we recycle and throw away. Um, so yeah, that, that's a big one. That's so happening. we're trying to prevent burned couches, burning couches? Well, the burning couches is thankfully not as much of an issue anymore. Um, the foot patrol got pretty strong on enforcement for that. And that hasn't been as much of an issue in the in past many years, but it's just the large dumpings of items that then like you can't cross the road anymore. You can't walk down the sidewalk. It just looks like blight, like just massive amounts of trash in the gutters for weeks on end um, or longer. And so we're trying to keep Ivy beautiful. That's the name of the program that we run. And part of that is, you know, making sure that things go where they should go instead of to the trash or on the street. So this is not the first time you're doing that sort of thing, right? Or It's the biggest we've ever done. Like we've, done, we've, we've nibbed around the edges last year, but now that we have a dedicated staff person, which is like the big benefit, right? Like, you know, Ivy residents, their taxes are paying for, us to have this staff person, her name's Jenna Norton, on, on our team. And she's now able to coordinate and figure out how to make the process better for everybody. So it's a great example of, you know, what people's money goes to. Okay. Uh, and you mentioned that you're going through a budget discussion. Are there a program, new programmatic steps you're able to take or are discussing? Yeah. I mean, so the position, the community engagement project manager was um, one that got already decided to be put in the budget. So that one got done very early on, but we're considering a lot of things that are new and some that are bringing back. So one big one that is uh, our finance committee just recommended to our board is the interpersonal violence investigator, which is a detective hired at UCPD to investigate crimes of uh, sexual violence in um, Isla Vista specifically. And so that was on pause for a year. And so that program now is because of hiring issues. So now it's back on the table to get funded for the next year. Um, our committee was you know, unanimous in supporting it. So you know, now it'll go to the board, it'll presumably have that support there as well. Um, and then we have just other new positions we're looking at. So we're looking at a new position to be dedicated for scheduling and reservation requests at the community center, since we have piles and piles and piles of people requesting to use the space. It's a good problem to have that parents can't handle. So we want to have good customer service. So that's something that we are considering funding. Um, we're looking at our parking study. You know, it's already happening, but we're looking at the budget for it of how we want to support it with more community engagement. Uh, we're building a new uh, one thing. Another thing that's in the in the mix right now is a community garden, a large one at the community center. Um, so that's a new request uh, that's on the table for us to look at. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's a long list of items. I think we, we just did an inventory of all the new requests uh, just a couple of days ago. And it's a pretty large, you know, it's like three, over three hundred thousand dollars in new spending. But our budget thankfully does grow at almost amount at almost that per year. So we do have the capacity to absorb most of it into our budget. And we're also looking now at revenue. So we're looking at selling the compost we create. 
out of the IV food scraps from residents. And we're also looking at expanding our community center private rentals for some revenue from there. So not, you know, we still, it's still public use is the, you know, massive priority for that. But um, yeah, we're looking at other ways to bring in some money for the district to keep us afloat. But our position is very strong. Yeah, well, it sounds like a thriving enterprise has been developing in Isla Vista, a public enterprise. So you mentioned uh, the the parking study, and that sort of triggers for me. I'd like to know more about what's going on with that, uh, because that's like one of the longstanding issues and problems in, in Isla Vista, parking issues. Yeah. So it's a major accomplishment, I would say, for CSD, because... For a long time, parking has been an issue, and it was actually the reason the IV master plan got held up and not approved was because of parking. And it's a bit of friction issue between the county and UCSB, you know, for different reasons. But IVCSD was able to bring county and UCSB together with us as the local residents to put this parking study into place. So it is a triple partnership. Between the three of us, we all agreed on the scope of work. We're equally funding it, county UCSB and IVCSD. We're, we're all equal players on the project committee overseeing it. Um, and so we feel like just even getting to that point of having them equally invested in doing this study um, is a major accomplishment. Because uh, it took a year of negotiation, maybe actually over a year of negotiations to get everybody on the same page. Um, but the parking study is very extensive. And we also have the Coastal Commission, um, not involved, but have heavily given feedback on, on what we're doing. But uh, our goal is to have every month of the year a, the, the data on parking space availability and utilization and number of cars, et cetera, on street and off street and on campus. And... Um, we're going to do it weekends, weekdays, nighttime, morning, afternoon, literally every possible time of day, every time of the year is what we're doing. We're doing every day or not every day, but weekends, weekdays, all times, all months um, to really. And, and we're going to strategically do it around the actual weeks that are, you know, where people are actually here. Like we wouldn't do it the day after Christmas, for example. Um but uh, we are, we are, it's, it's going to be the most extensive parking study ever in IV's history. And the goal is to get the facts and get the data of what is actually happening here parking wise, because everybody has their theories and myths of, oh, well, this group is parking here and causing the problem, or that group is here and causing the problem, or, you know, you can blame anyone for the parking issues. And so our, and we're going to, and I didn't mention this, we're going to be doing like intercept interviews, like going up to people and asking them as they park or leave, um, you know, questions about their parking experience. We're even going to go onto the beach and interview people who are at the beach and ask them uh, how parking played into their visit to the beach. That's the Coastal Commission request. Uh Uh, Essentially the Coastal Commission and what we hear from residents is they want maybe two or three different things. They want a new parking structure NIV and or they want a residential permit program. There's different support and opposition on both sides. It's not, neither one is unanimous, but those are the two big ideas that we hear from the from the people who live here. 
Um, but we're going to be coming up with other solutions based on the data. But those are the two we hear the most. The Coastal Commission loves the parking structure idea. That's all they want is more public parking for the beach. Right. They hate the permit idea. They actually told us almost point blank, we will never approve another residential permit program in the coastal zone ever again in California. But but they were open to it in IV because they they kind of get the situation here. And our our interviews of people on the beach is supposed to help validate our claims that you know the vast majority of beach visitors live down the street aren't driving and parking here and if we can accommodate the coastal beach parking then maybe they would let us you know do some things that are preferential for our residents um but yeah it, it is a big the biggest thing we've done yet and it's just starting we just did like the first day of data collection recently to test things out so it's just getting started, but um, it's going to have a very heavy public process, at least monthly public meetings about it, um, if not more, but at least monthly. And so people will have a big chance to be involved. So it, it sounds like methodologically using interviews, survey style method, but also uh, observation, ca counting, right? Is we'll that... be counting, yeah, empirical and uh, yeah. like, yeah, objective and subjective. We'll, we'll be doing both. Um, we're, we're counting everything essentially. Um, and yeah, it's going to be a lot of counting. And, and this was, uh, has this got a special funding source, the survey? Yeah. Um, we're paying for it from our reserves. We have a large reserve that is for oh, one. Okay. Time, you know? So we have a, and then UCSB is putting in money, Good. not from their, not from their regular CSD contribution. It's, it's separate money that, because it's a strategic goal for the campus to solve this sure. the county is putting in money as well and i think they have a they're pulling it from well, I, I don't really know but um it's all three equally funding it is the big thing all right so i was uh interested in the fact that you put a lot on facebook about your visit to the mock-up of munger hall uh and your uh, reactions to that. And that stirred up a good deal of comment uh, and, and got my attention because I've also done that visit, but I've also been trying to really pay attention to, to the fundamental debate about Munger Hall. So I, I wanted to talk to you about it because uh, you had some, what, what, just, you know, tell us what your, how you want to view that the, that experience? What did you what did you what did you derive from that experience, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, it was a nice chance to go see it, um, and it wasn't just me who went. It was our some of our IVCSD team, so some of our staff and our board leadership went, and so you know, no Brown Act issues. We <laughs> just a couple board members, nothing like that. But um, we we went and visited it and listened. And it's not something we have jurisdiction over, but it is something that obviously will massively affect anything that happens in Alavista if it gets built. So, you know, we, we went to see it for ourselves. And, you know, there were obviously a lot of, um, you know, I had like my main suggestion, for example, is I said, yeah, I think you should have the dining hall here. Over and if you need to reduce the kitchen space, um, 
I favor the dining hall approach over that. And it did seem like that was something that was being seriously debated or like seriously considered to make that change or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it was nice to see it and it was nice to what what's also really lacking about the mock-up. And I, I said this on, on the tour too, is that the actual source of light that will be there in real life, if it's built is non-existent in the mock-up. If anything, it's like a negative source of light in the mock-up. And so I think it, it's hard to really see what it would be like. Like the mock-up is good, but also it's missing the key component of how this might all might be okay. So it's hard to really like be in there and say, oh, this is how much sunlight will be coming in. Because one thing we noted while we were in there was that the lighting was like too perfect. Like it, the lighting consistency on every inch of of space was like the same everywhere. And that's like, you know, a perfect lighting in a way, but that's not how real life is. It's nowhere has perfect lighting. It's the unevenness and lighting from natural light is part of what makes things, you know, normal reality. So um, that was something we noted, but again, it's because it's built inside of a warehouse where there is no light from the sun that's gonna come into this thing to help show that effect. Well, I think I, I think from I could interject that people might be confused hearing what you're saying because the bedrooms, the single occupant bedrooms in this mock-up and in the original design have no natural light. Right. And right, I was right. actually surprised the the setup the way to understand that the whole design of it includes recognizing that each floor consists of a series of houses each right. house each house is is eight of these small single occupant bedrooms connected to a uh, common room and i was surprised to see that the common rooms don't have external light either they are also going to be in the original design uh, they will have artificial light but then on each floor, there are um, the, the, the eight houses. <laughs> each house has eight, eight rooms, uh, eight bedrooms. Then there's a larger unit. Or no, the, those are called suites. Then Sweet. the, each, yeah. House, yeah. each house <laughs> has eight suites. Right. And in, these, in the eight suites structures, or, or portions of the, uh, that there's a great room, so-called, and those rooms, those great rooms are externally connected. They, they have uh, picture windows or a large bank of windows, right? right go, those are the only, that's the only place there's natural light in the, in the design. Yeah. Uh, and these part of one, frankly, thing that, disturbed me in, in not only touring that, but reading the early literature that was put out about the project was that they were trying to say that the artificial lighting and ventilation that is part of the living quarters is could even be better than the real world, which I thought was uh, pretty disturbing. In other words, this is this is a cl completely climate controlled 
um, environment by and in the bedroom, you, you, you as an individual control your lighting, artificial lighting, and I presume some of the way it's ventilated or the air conditioning or whatever it is. And the, the idea that you would have the university building this very artificial environment to live in in the midst of the most beautiful environment, natural environment, is kind of bizarre, shall we say. So that was just a comment that I that I reacted to this. At the same time, like the bedroom is like 30 seconds away from the from the great room. At, like at any point, you're only 30 seconds away from. Well, you, you say that in your comment, but I wasn't sure that you, you didn't measure that, did you? Yeah, no, I did. I timed myself walking from. Like oh, well, a- well, all right. So maybe that's the case, but the kitchen is a really fundamental problem. Uh, that's what I was shocked about actually going to the mock-up because I assume you saw the same thing I did, which is a very large kitchen area, eight stoves, eight refrigerators, eight dishwashers. Uh, in other words, 64 students living in that house would be provided the opportunity, let me put it that way, but but really the most convenient thing on paper for them is to cook their own meals or in that space. And I just couldn't imagine how you would have that many students or even half that many students um, using that kind of space for preparing food. And half the room is a dining area that people can take the food from the cooking area and you know, dine in the in the other half. In the mock-up, there's, which is a, a mock-up of the second floor of Munger Hall, there's an outside balcony area that is also big and, and usable for socializing and, I guess, dining and everything. But that's only one floor. The other floors don't have that kind of outdoor balcony. Um, so I just don't, didn't think this was and you you when you mentioned the dining area let's talk about this I don't think the kitchen as design has any possibility of working in the real world even even if it were I mean you'd have to train people uh how to live how to work with 64 other people in terms of uh you know using that space it just didn't seem um at all plausible. I've never heard of any human human habitat design with that kind of concept that 64 people would be, you know, that many people would be cooking on separate stoves in one big space. It just, you know what I mean? I, I know, I agree. And like, if the trade-off was between, could we move the rooms to have more windows by having less kitchen? I would take that trade-off because the the windows are more important than having the kitchen for sure. So, I I mean, if that's something, again, I don't know, we we can't design the project ourselves, but I would, you know, I agree that we don't need that much real estate given to the kitchen. Um, And if you could trade that off with more room light, that should be, you know, we should make that happen essentially. Like that should be uh, a swap that's looked at. So, Mr. Munger, Mr. Munger, the donor, um, as far as we know, and it's all been very secret uh, what, what the deal is and how it's, what modifications might be happening. But he, he had three principles that were fundamental to him. One, windowless, well, 
the bedrooms should be single occupancy. That's a great benefit to the students to have their own private room. In order to do it, however, with the density, with the number of people to be accommodated, these rooms had to be uh, in 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 the interior of the structure. Right. So so putting windows and by the way, the the independent review uh, sponsored by the academic senate says these rooms have to be not only have windows but have to be enlarged. Um, they didn't. They thought those rooms were much too small for you know long term residency. So that's one question about Munger. But the second principle he had, which I thought have been thinking is very strange, but he thought it was a great benefit for the students to have to prepare their own food. Instead of having a meal plan, each resident there, as if they were living in a private apartment, would be responsible for her, his or her own food, but it would be prepared in these common, common areas. And there's supposed to be a supermarket on the ground floor where you go, you enter, come in from, from your day, and you can go to the shop downstairs and bring back to your living space what what you want to prepare for food. I mean, a lot of the stuff in the supermarket would probably be grab and go prepared, prepared meals. Uh, but, um, you know, that that's the design. So there's there is common eating areas. I mean, some kind of um, part of the design is some kind of smaller cafeteria, but not built so everyone in the building could easily get you know, have a dining room where they can order food. Uh, that was deliberately not part of Munger's plan. And the third piece of his plan is the prefabrication of these uh, houses. So, so the, the house structure is imagined to be something that would be built off site and then brought to the site and easily piled on top of each other in a rather relatively short amount of time. So if Munger can't do any of those three things, will he still be funding this project is probably something only he knows if he knows. Um, <laughs> but, but so that's, that's, to me makes it very difficult for the anything like Munger Hall as he conceived of it to be what we imagine the outcome will be. Um, but I, I'm I, and I, I commented on your comment on Facebook. People have to read the Senate report. Look it over. It's 200 pages. It's got very careful critique of the psychological experience that might be there when living in the in the dorms. Uh, the, the the did you ask anyone who was showing around about evacuation and what happens in predictable? Uh, dangerous circumstances. Did you ask that? I did. They, I was told. Well, that I was told that there's 19 exits to the building, and that they can evacuate it faster than Santa Catalina can be evacuated right now. Well, that that in itself doesn't, you know, not very persuasive. We don't know what that time frame is. I was told something incredible by a very high official of the university who was showing me around. He said, We've, we have tested this and it, 
uh, in 10 minutes you can get from your bed to outside. Well, doesn't that raise a few questions like how the hell can you test at that time an 11 story or sorry, how do you arrive at such a conclusion? And 10 minutes sounds good, but maybe it isn't so good. So, so, but I don't know that they've, what's your imagination about the kind of catastrophes that could threaten people in the building? Tell me what you have thought about. It's the issue that we've always had, we, that we, not we've always had, but we've had now since nine years ago is the mass shooting, which did happen here. Yes. In fact, the very week that I was there was one when there was this armed guy in Isla Vista where people were sheltering. I don't, remember, I don't know if you remember that a few months ago. Yeah, so that's one. There's earthquakes. There's fire alarms, let alone actual fires. The report raises deep questions about whether this is a viable arrangement. And there are also questions about energy use, whether it meets sustainability standards. I, I was told that the Coastal Commission is a major fan of the project. Well, who told you that? By the person giving the tour. I, I don't know how they could possibly know that since the Coastal Commission is not the received the project there is no project maybe the staff maybe the staff said that because well, this, all right well this is dick flax jonathan abood we're ranting at each other but we've run out of time to continue the rant what i i guess i'd like to conclude by saying go to google and find the academic senate review committee report on munger hall use those keywords and you will see people need to read this. everyone, Coastal Commission members, students, faculty, regents, everyone needs to see in detail what the critique is and what the questions are. I think the delay in the project being put forward publicly suggests that there's some really very difficult problems that they're being wrestled with. And personally, I don't like the degree of secrecy. We should be more transparent. Students should be part of the discussion. So should faculty, not just get another design after the fact, after it's been designed. Doesn't seem like great practice to me. That's my editorial opinion here on Inside Isla Vista. Thanks, Jonathan, and uh, keep up the great work. Thanks to Lisa Osborne for producing this. We're running a little bit over time, but maybe justifiably. Take care, folks. Thank you, thank you.